Welcome to episode 15 of the Racquetball Show podcast. On this one, we have Sudzy Monchek, a very special guest. He is a five-time professional world champion, and according to Wikipedia, which is where I'm getting this, he is one of the top three players in the history of the sport, so a pretty special guest. Thanks for listening. Enjoy episode 15 of the Racquetball Show podcast. I wanted to take the time to plug a sponsor of the Racquetball Show and of myself as a player, Gearbox Sports. Gearbox has a fantastic array of products and just recently released the new M40 Racket line. The M40 line includes two new technologies not offered in any previous model. The collection is now constructed using M40 high modulus graphite. In addition, Gearbox engineers extended the new internal C3 power groove to now run the entire inside length of the racket. So, as an engineering nerd myself, I can confirm that not only do these rackets hit amazingly well, I've had mine for a while now and am loving it, but the technology is also top-notch. I'll also say that the Gearbox team has always been excellent and super easy and pleasurable to work with, plus they care deeply about the sport of racquetball, which I love. So, if you're interested in checking out Gearbox, give them a look at GearboxSports.com. I'm here with Sudzi Monchik, who is five-time world champion, four-time U.S. Open champion, and currently on the U.S. team as a doubles participant with Rocky Carson. Sudzi, thanks for coming on and joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dylan. Excited to finally get this uh, thing going and be <laughs> together here. That's right. So I was wondering, and this is a, this is a rumor I heard about you. Is it true Uh-oh. that you watched the movie Braveheart before each of your matches? <laughs> It's it's funny you ask because look at the newest edition. Oh, look at that! We got right, uh, so that, the big old Braveheart sword right down the right arm. And then, beautiful. And then in in here it says, "Every man dies, not every man really lives." That's awesome. So um, that rumor is actually uh, is pretty accurate. Yeah, before uh, before every final, you know, especially the U.S. Open finals, I would always watch Braveheart and. You know, I just kind of, I loved his approach. I, I loved his, you know, what he fought for and he believed in it. And, you know, one of the things I loved great about it was, I mean, ultimately the true story is he was, he really fought for love. I mean, that's a true story. William Wallace is the savior of Scotland, you know, and he fought against the English. Um, but he didn't have much to say. He just kind of went out and did what he did. Like he didn't tell everybody, I'm just going to go kill you and I'm going to attack you. And, you know, you killed my love. So now I'm just going to do worse things to you and everybody else. He just did it. And that's one of the things I really liked. You know, it wasn't much talk. He just went out and got it done. And, yeah, I was pretty passionate about that movie and definitely inspired me a lot for many matches. That's awesome. I'm super glad that's a true yeah. rumor. That would have been a bad start to the interview. if I, No, that's, I just... that's, that's, that's accurate. Nice. <laughs> okay, so this is this question isn't maybe well <laughs> well stated, but you know, you're a five-time world champion. There are a lot of people who are competitive and super talented players who are striving for that level. What do you think mm-hmm. separated you? What do you think gave you the ability to be five-time world champion as, and as successful as you are? Um, I mean, I, you know, I think that that's, that's kind of a loaded question. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of detail that goes into an answer like that. I think in, in any sport and, you know, what separates some of the greats from a lot of other players um, first off, it's, I think it comes from just self-drive and motivation, um, and what makes you tick and how you're wired personally. Uh, you know, it's, it's to get to that level, it's, it's a lot easier than to stay there and maintain that level because when you're trying to get to that level, it's, it's something in you that, you know, you want to attain, but then once you're there, it's you against everybody, it's you against the world. Um, you know, but the biggest separation you know, obviously at some point, someone, the almighty or something definitely touched some of us and said, okay, you're gifted. Now, what are you going to go do with this? 
you know, growing up in New York, New York and, and, and being so competitive, one of the things that I saw uh, while I was out there was my competitive nature was very difficult to deal with. Uh, and, and I see that in a lot of the guys, you know, Cliff and Kane and Menino and Ellis and all these guys were super, super competitive and we were relentless. Um, and I think just never being satisfied. Uh, I've always lived a life and strived, you know, with a relentless attitude. It, and, and it's not fake. It's just real. It's just I'm not satisfied. And, and you always want to be better. And, and if you win, then you want to win another one. And, you know, you enjoy it's It's like I've heard Tom Brady say the second he put on a, a, a ring, you know, he was thinking about the next Super Bowl. And that's not fake. It's just it's just how you're wired. And, and you know, you're just constantly trying to strive. And that's why in all sports you have, you know, really good players. You have great players. Then you have the best. Then you have the best of the best. And those are the things that separates it. And it's usually, you know, above the shoulders because everybody can hit the same shots. Everybody hits the ball hard. Everybody's quick. Everybody's in shape. Um, so what is it? You know, what is it ultimately? And I, I think it comes definitely, you know, it's mental strength and conditioning, 100%. So what can a person do to develop the, the skill of mental strength and conditioning? And what did you do? Uh, go to sadzimanchik.com, sign up for my coaching. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Done. That's it. The interview's over. Uh, no, you know, it's it's something I believe that starts at a really, really young age. Um, and then it's also something on how you surround yourself or what and who you surround yourself with in day-to-day life. You know, it's not just racquetball. Um, New York City happens to be a very competitive city, maybe the most competitive on the planet. And it's it's how you're wired. You know, and I grew up with Jason Menino, who's... He's like a brother to me and our fathers were, they always groomed us to be super competitive too. I mean, to this day, I remember being, you know, 10 years old, nine years old and they're, you know, a hundred feet in front of us and they turn around and say, Hey guys, stop right there. And we're just walking, you know, and they take out like a $20 bill and say, okay, race to the 20. And it was like a constant, everything was a competition, you know, but what I can tell you is it's good and bad, you know, it's, it's because I don't enjoy, like, I don't have too much fun doing things because I'm so competitive. Like I want to win and you know, it's not your fault or whoever I'm competing against. It's my own fault. And, and it's kind of the way I go about it. I'm my biggest, my biggest challenge and my biggest competition. And, you know, depending where you're at in your career or what your goals are. And, you know, I have different goals now. It's not to be the best player in the world. You know, I would tell anybody that wants to strive to be at that level, to um, do something every single day uh, to make you better in whatever it is you want to be the best at. And then ask yourself, when you make those decisions, are you truly making those decisions and then executing them? So don't tell me you want to be the best player in the world and you know that if you go out drinking all night, um, that's going to affect you, but you say, well, but I'm going to do it because tomorrow I'm going to train really hard. Well, then you're not really doing what you say you're doing. So you're setting goals that aren't realistic because you're not keeping to your plan. And, you know, every single detail matters. And if you want to get to that level, it's a lonely world. You know, it, it is because nobody really can relate to, you know, that focus and the attention that you need to have to get to that level. And that's not just in racquetball, that's anything in life. Um, you know, if you want to be the best the best podcaster, if you want to be the best guy, you know, the best singer, the best basketball player, baseball player, football player, you know, you're going to always get a lot of, a lot of negative attention also. And you have to kind of black that out and really just focus on trying to be the best you can be. Um, and always pushing yourself to be better and don't worry about anybody else or what they do. And hopefully you have the ability and the talent and the know-how and good people around you that can also assist in making that happen. Great. So you obviously have recently made a comeback and, you know, you used to be a dominant player kind of in the, in the prime athletic years of your life, but you're now a little bit older. You're going after still big, Hey, uh, no offense. Uh, you're going after they, still, they can't see my facial expressions. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right, right. You're going after still big time athletic goals. Describe that journey to me, the comeback journey and what that took. Yeah. I mean, God, that was, that was awesome. Um, you know, it's, it's a common question now. And, and when, you know, I stepped away from the sport for a little while, um, just to, I needed a break and 
absolutely got out of shape and, and really wasn't into, into competing or playing. And, um, so recently, you know, my wife, obviously she's a great champion and I coach and train her and I was coaching team Ecuador. So I was on the court a lot again. And, and my favorite part of coaching is the mental strength and conditioning. And, and, and I could, I could teach anybody how to hit a forehand if you're a beginner or a backhand or, or anything, but my favorite level to coach and to, and to, to really help are the players that want to get from, you know, a high level to the highest level. Um, so, you know, the journey actually happened accidentally. I was just back on the court a lot. I was helping, I was coaching, I was getting in a little better shape. And, and part of my coaching was to help and play the players, whether it was my wife or whether it was the men on team Ecuador. So I was just back on the court a lot and I was like, huh, I could still hit a ball, you know, I'm not bad. And, and, uh, and the guys too. And, and I felt really good. And I never thought about coming back. I mean, for years, ever since I basically retired, I've always gotten messages and calls and, you know, hey, how much will it take? I want you to come play the U.S. Open. Go play Kane. Go play, you know, come play the tour. We need you. Blah, blah, blah. And I, I never, ever wanted to do it. I mean, I was offered financial, you know, plenty of times to do it. And I just knew that if I did it that way, um, it would be the wrong way because I've, we've all done things in life for just for the money and it's not the same reward. And... So this past uh, August 2017, my wife, we were in Minneapolis uh, working for, with Lifetime Fitness and doing some camps and clinics. So again, I'm just on the court a lot more. Still haven't competed, haven't played in a tournament in over 12 years at least. And um, I'm training my wife and we're trying to have a baby. And one day we're sitting, we're sitting in the club and uh, – I said, okay, I'll tell you what. Cause, so now my wife said to me, she's like, babe, you got to play. You know, you, you look great. You're in great shape. You're playing. You're moving well. And I'm like, ah, you know, it's, we're, we're in Minneapolis. Just play the Open. So I just nonchalantly said, I think we were at lunch. I was like, all right, if you're pregnant, I'll play. That was it. That was the true story. So August 21st, and I'll never forget because I had such little time to truly now focus my training on preparing August 21st, 2017, I'm at the club giving a lesson and Veronica texts me and the, you know, the phone, it just says, Hey, guess what? You're playing in the open. And I'm like, what? So I kind of took my phone and I'm like, and she sent a picture of the pregnancy test. And, um, I was like, Holy, sh you know, Holy. And so now I'm, I'm at the uh, club and I, I'm about to give a lesson. I couldn't even, you know, give the lesson anymore. I just went back to the to the hotel and you know she was pregnant obviously and so now she couldn't play so she this was august 21st i think the tournament started october 5th so it was like six or seven weeks and it's funny because i've always preached to all my players at certain levels if you're at that level already or depending on what your goal is you just need six to eight weeks you don't need to be you know today we can talk about it later but you know too many players play too much they train too much and they never get rest and but that's a whole nother story. But when I said six to eight weeks, I meant if you were already had a good baseline and a good foundation, I haven't seen a professional ball hit at me in over 12 years, 13 years. Um, so 21st, go back. Sure enough, you know, hugs and kisses. We're excited. Boom. Next morning, I'm at the club training. I'm focused training now for the U.S. Open. And I'm like, whoa, what am I doing, you know? And I could tell you that after just a few days, it was so awesome because I was doing it for, for me, for us. Like it wasn't, it wasn't for someone dangling a carrot. I just did it because I wanted to at that point. And it was, it was a great journey. It was difficult. It was a lot of work. Um, I think before the first serve of my first match in that Open, I, I played 10 games total. Um, thank you to Jake Bredenbeck. I, you know... He lives there. We played about probably six or seven games, eight games. And uh, it, it definitely was, uh, it was helpful and fun, but it was a difficult journey. And, you know, one that the next question I'm sure is, I don't know if I want to do again, but if I do it, I'll do it for the right reasons. Yeah, that's awesome. I had no idea you so quickly made the, you know, you made the decision less than two months before the tournament. That's, that's amazing. It, it, that's the exact date. So you can check the date. It was August 21st. Um, 
and then that was it, you know, and then, and then obviously the, the journey continued. So I played the U S open and then, and then we were just having fun. And, and actually my wife, you know, she never really got to see me play live, you know, in the prime. And so for me, it was even more inspirational. It was more exciting for her to be able to watch it, you know, and, and see the differences and see what she sees and what everybody tells and what everybody talks about. And, uh, so that was really fun. So I played a couple more events and then, uh, at the U.S. Open, Rocky and I were watching the final. Everybody, you know, knows the great doubles final with with Alvaro and Daniel and Kane and Ben. And uh, Rocky and I were just standing there next to each other. And and you know, he's been playing for the U.S. team for many many years. And I played the first U.S. team that went to the Pan Am Games a long time ago. And um, we kind of just looked at each other because it was a good match, you know. And and we were Alvaro and Daniel were a great team, two great players. Obviously, Ben and Kane, you know, they're amazing. Don't need to talk about that. And uh, uh, Rocky looked at me, and I looked at Rocky, and the Nationals were in a few months, and that was for the World Championships, and Alvaro and Daniel would be the favorite team to win, even if Rocky played with whoever from the U.S. And uh, and we kind of looked at each other, and we both, it was weird, kind of like, I think we need each other to compete with these guys, don't we? Because I play the back end, and Rocky could play either side, and... And Rocky was like, yeah. And, and like that moment, we just kind of stayed in touch and we, you know, we entered in, in national doubles and I was well prepared for that. And that's a whole, I mean, it's not, I almost didn't even play first match. I had, I had a wicked, wicked flu. Wow. Yeah. Describe to me your training routine. So maybe in the most intense, the peak of your career, when you were going your hardest, what that training looked like. And then what it's looking like now when you're, you know, at, at the age you're at now and making the comeback to worlds for doubles. Yeah. Um, I, you know, so I would say in the, in my, in the prime of my career, you know, a lot of my training, the physical off court training happened in the off season. So, you know, we were playing so much. So my, my season might start, let's say September one and it would end usually the first week of June in Portland or, or the end of May. So the physical uh, training to get ready for the season usually began, it was about eight weeks in the summertime uh, prior to, you know, I know the sexy answer, which everybody wants to hear is, oh, I train 10 hours a day, seven days a week. And it's just not true. I'm here to tell you, it's just not true. Um, What we do do is 24 seven, all the decisions and details that we make definitely have something to do with our ultimate goal. So what does that mean? Yeah, there's no drinking, there's no partying, you're sleeping good, you're resting well, you're eating well. But no, we're not on the court 10 hours a day or 15 hours a day, and we're not in the gym for six hours. I can bring you to the gym for one hour, and trust me, it's going to be more than if you go for four hours while you're talking on your phone, talking to everybody in the gym, doing the wrong things. It's all very, very specific. Um, so the training was, it was always and continues to be racquetball specific. Uh, so it's, it's, I'm working all the muscles, all the movements and everything for racquetball. So if I'm in the gym, it looks like I played a racquetball match and the time that it takes me to do it is about the same length it takes to do a racquetball match. Um, my big belief is for any elite or professional athlete is I don't give you any credit for being in shape. You're supposed to be. So I don't care that you're, you know, you're in the gym for six hours or, Oh my God, I'm in great shape or guess what? Yeah, that's you're supposed to be. It's like a doctor saying, "Hey, but I'm at work and I brought my stethoscope." Good. You don't get any extra points for that. So I think that you know a lot of a lot of my training, obviously the physical, and there's so many different things that we did. Um, I had a good trainer. Would slow down once the season started because we needed to recover our bodies and not just physically, but mentally, you know, Dylan, it's, it's a grind, you know, being out there every day is an absolute grind physically and mentally. And it was great to be able to just shut it off. Um, you know, one, one little secret, I I guess I could say that I learned at a very early age in my career. Um, I probably biked more than anybody, uh, like, like life cycles and bikes and stuff like that, because in racquetball, if you don't have your legs, you're done. It's like the foundation of your house everything breaks down from there. Um, that was one thing for sure that I did continuously, even, you know, I could play a finals today on Sunday, Monday, I'm in the gym, not working out. I'm just on the bike for like 20 or 30 minutes. Um, and that's it. You know, I, I needed to, you know, do the best I could to really, to really recover and, and keep healthy. And today, 
you know, you said, what's the differences? I think today I'm just a lot smarter. Um, I think I know how to pace myself better, how to not overtrain or overwork or overpractice. And I actually see a lot of the young guys today, they play too much um, and they're not sharp enough, you know, and, and I always say, hey, if you want to be the best in the world, you know, where do you start, right? So if you're in racquetball, look at what Kane does or try to know, right? Nobody really knows because even he might tell you something different than what he actually does and, and not intentionally just because, again, it's, it's the sexy answer, you know, like, oh, I'm in the gym six hours a day, um, you know, so... Yeah, I just I just think where I read something interesting in, uh, recently, like with Roger Federer, you know, and Tom Brady, I think we're all a lot smarter at how to maximize our abilities at the event we need to so we can peak for that event. And, you know, so I don't know if I answered that it was a little vague, but the training is, is a little bit different because, you know, back in the day, too, I would have no problem going playing basketball five days a week. Um, that was another big part of my training. Actually, believe it or not, that was like my number one cross training sport. Nice. Yeah. If you wouldn't mind, could you get a little bit more specific though on, I I think people really like hearing the details of like specifically what you would do in a workout. Well, I mean, I mean, I can't, you know, I can't tell you like how many reps or how much time or, you know, but it would be a lot of explosive training. It would be, it would never be really heavy weight. So I think everybody is built individually and my physique was very stocky as it, as it is. So, you know, I maybe didn't need to work much, uh, upper body, but from a specific standpoint, you know, so if I was doing, let's say, um, free weights, which, well, I wouldn't even do too much free weights, it would be high rep and lower weight. Um, it would also be very, very explosive, uh, different types of training like plyometrics, uh, sprinting. I could tell you, I've never jogged on a treadmill. I'd rather get smacked in the face with a racket. Um, it's just not my thing. If I do, I'm sprinting on that treadmill, uh, a lot of core and back, um, a lot of stabilization on, you know, one legged drills too. It wasn't much too, and my belief was because if I could be strong on one and if I could hit on one, wow, imagine what I could do on two legs. Um, really focusing on staying low. Eugene Coyle out of Chicago was uh, my trainer. He's also a racquetball player. So everything we did was really geared directly towards racquetball. You know, I know maybe you want to hear, oh, well, I did, you know, I would do, uh, you know, three sets of 15 bench pressing and it would change all the time. Uh, but it was never anything that was wasted. It was no wasted movement. Uh, the workout would take no more than 90 minutes maximum. Uh, the only thing I could say I definitely did every single day was bike. There's no doubt about that. I was on a bike every single day. Um, from a physical standpoint, I mean, yeah, it was anything and everything you can think of now, you know, it's, it's the same old stuff. You know, detail today, uh, there's a lot of stretching. There's a lot of core work, you know definitely keeping the core. I have a back issue. Um, a little bit of upper body. I would say that for me, upper body is probably only 20% of the workout and 80% is legs and below. Got it. So you mentioned your wife, Veronica, and for those who don't know, um, you married Veronica Sotomayor. Uh, out of Ecuador. Sotomayor. Sotomayor, <laughs> sorry. You, that was a very, like a very gringo. gringo, very gringo yeah. pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Sotomayor. Yeah, yeah. Sotomayor. <laughs> so. He, he said Sotomayor, babe. Uh, I apologize. <laughs> That's all right. No worries. <laughs> yeah. uh, and for those who don't know, she is the best women's player out of Ecuador of all time. Describe that relationship and what it's been like being <laughs> being married to someone who is an incredible athlete in their own right. Yeah, that's. It, I tell you, it is interesting because you know she she would be a better one to ask that. But um, you know, like when coaching her it was great and it was awesome, and she loved it, and it was it, it was really inspiring. I think for both, and you know, and then when you fall in love, it definitely it took a turn. It wasn't it wasn't the same. It wasn't easy for both of us to focus on the coaching um, and then the receiving of the information because now you're together, you know? So, so we work together daily, you know, and, and, and we, and then I help her and she helps me too. But yeah, it, it was, it was pretty awesome. I mean, it's awesome. Like somebody said the other day, you know, 
You want to know what's great about being able to work with your wife? Everything. You know, we're, we train together. We play together. We're on the court all the time together. But when it comes to like, hey, babe, you know, maybe you should hit a drive Z here. It's kind of like, well, it's tough to hear that when, you know, I'm also telling you what we're cooking for dinner tonight. You know, it's, so it's so it's it definitely changed a little bit. No doubt about it. But we we both love it. And we we definitely enjoy working and doing what we love together. And um, but she's a phenomenal athlete uh, to me. Absolutely. One of the best players in the world. She just doesn't play full time. Yeah. Another thing I'd like to get into, you and Cliff Swain were obviously big rivals back in the day. You had a ton of battles. Describe that rivalry and, you know, kind of what it was like as well as what that did to push your game. Yeah, Cliff, I mean, Cliff made me better. I, you know, I don't, I believe without, you know, without Cliff, I probably couldn't have been, you know, or did what I did in, in the history of the sport. He's to this day, probably the greatest competitor I've ever met in my life. I mean, I mean, I've met some great competitors. I just never competed against them. You know, I've met Tiger and, and Jordan and Agassi, but I never competed against them. Um, and, you know, he made me better. And I think that in every great rivalry, something or someone motivates you. And there's no doubt about it that we pushed each other every single time we entered a, a tournament. I mean, vividly i can tell you that we would walk into a tournament you know tournaments used to start on wednesday and end on sunday um and we wouldn't even talk to each other we might make eye contact and the competitiveness was a lot different than what you see today um we would just basically expect to see each other on sunday and i could tell you for me personally there's no doubt about it if for some reason he wasn't there it was almost like a letdown and it was almost as if I couldn't perform at my best now because he was kind of the one that I couldn't wait to see and motivated to, to train for. Um, and, you know, he played a big, big part in, in, in the success I had in my career. Uh, you know, he knows it cause we talk so often, but you know, he, what he brought out the best in me was my, my competitiveness because everybody would say, well, who was the toughest player for you to play? And they would expect for me to say, can cliff, and, but he wasn't. He was the easiest because I knew that when I had to play him, it was 100% focus. Every single serve, every swing, every shot, every movement, every timeout, everything mattered. So he was easy. Whereas if I was playing somebody else, it was like, well, I'm not so focused. And, you know, so it was a little bit of a different approach. But the competitiveness was just vicious. And I think that you know, that was definitely something that we all enjoyed and embraced. And, and we all fed off of that and fed off of each other with that. We weren't, we weren't buddy, buddy taking selfies. That's for sure. Yeah. You guys seem to be good friends from what I can tell now. You were doubles partners at the U S open. Was that, so that was not the case back when you were playing each other? God, no, we wanted to make <laughs> each other bleed. I mean, there was no, there was no buddy, buddiness at all. It, it was, you know, we, we respected each other. We definitely all respected each other, but we wanted nothing more than to beat the shit out of each other. And I only say that because I know you can edit that out. Um, but that's really what we wanted to do. And we, we were just so, so wicked competitive. And, and, and it, and it, and what was great was it wasn't personal. It wasn't me against Cliff or me against you. All of us had the same me against me. So I want every edge possible. I'm not going to dinner with you tonight. I'm not hitting with you tomorrow. I'm not rooming with you. Oh, I can't afford it. I'll figure it out. I'll go stay at somebody's house without you. I just don't want to be around you. I want to beat you. You want what I want. I want what you want. So we're competing. That's what we're doing. I want to see that fire, you know, and that's, and society, I think as a whole has changed that a little bit in, in, in a lot of pro sports. Yeah, that's awesome. There was, I think I've seen you mention that you think that players today could be doing a better job of marketing themselves. And I think you did a good job of marketing yourself or getting yourself out there as a player. What would you suggest? What did you do well at marketing yourself? And what would you suggest players today do to do that? God, Dylan, that's, that's an awesome question. And, and I've offered my assistance to some that, that have you know requested it and, and to some associations if they ever wanted to. You know, I mean, first of all, not everybody has the the personality 
or ability to engage people or, or a crowd or fans, you know, so the individual matters. Um, I think also, you know, I was fortunate enough to have the titles and the accolades, so that helped always too. Um, I think today with social media, there is such a an amazing, amazing opportunity for everyone and anyone that wants to market themselves. Um, I would say always be a professional, uh, be a professional in whatever you do. So when I say professional, even if you're an amateur or a junior, you know, think about what you're posting, think about what you're texting. Um, does the person on the other end want to see that? Does, does your mom want to read that? Does your grandmother want to see that picture? You know, um, you know, I know that you see pictures like, you know, people maybe flipping off or, or, or maybe doing a, a, a video clip. And I understand the realness of being real, but you got to remember people are watching that and everybody's judging you and they really, really are. And I'm not perfect. My, actually, my success has come from failures, right? You know, there's no doubt about that. You know, we all make mistakes, but you know, I would say, you know, you want to be true to who you are also, but I think there's a, there's an art to really becoming an expert in maximizing your potential and what you can do as an athlete to maximize your profits, maximize your opportunities, um, you know, knowing the right people, who to go, who to, who to be with and who to not be with. And, and I could tell you from, from part of my experience is definitely, you know, it starts with your personality, but the cool thing is we all have individual personalities and, and, you know, if you know how to engage a crowd or engage sponsors or engage people, you know, it goes a really, really, really long way and you can make a, a, a career and a life out of racquetball. And that's, you know, we're fortunate and lucky to have that. Um, and yeah, I'm willing to help the right people. Depends. Gotcha. On yeah. who? <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, your name is Sudsy, and you know that might, that's a bit of a unique name, I would say. How did nickname. how did it's, it's, a a nickname. it's a nickname? Got it. So right. how did you how did you get the nickname? What what's your real first name, if you don't mind me asking? Walter. Walter. Okay. And yeah, what? How did tough you? Tough Polish name. <laughs> gotcha. How did you get the name Sudsy, the nickname? So um, my dad was a New York City police sergeant, you know, pitcher, big Polish, big guy, big mustache. And, you know, he liked to drink beer and, and he would put it in, in, a, in a glass, you know. And so when I was just starting to learn to walk, I was about 10 months old and he had this glass of beer on a coffee table and he was reading like a newspaper. And I'm climbing, you know, how babies, when they walk, they hold on to furniture and walk around. And so he wasn't paying attention to me. And I stuck my hand in his glass of beer and I put the suds all over my face. And I was like cracking up and I was like all energetic and I was like, ah. So he said he looked at me and he was like, Sudsy. And it was since I was 10 months old. And ever since then, I think I've had one teacher and maybe one nun in my life call me uh, Walter. Nobody, my, not anybody in my life. If I was walking down the street and somebody yelled Walter, I wouldn't even turn around. That's hilarious. So what is a tip that you would have when you see most beginning level racquetball players play what is kind of the first thing that stands out that you would give them as a piece of advice to improve their games a beginner yeah um i would say you know go out have fun get some get some good equipment uh don't get a coach or anything like that yet that's not necessary you know do it for the exercise and the fun you meet some great people um you know from a a technical standpoint you know, learn the rules, watch video. I would say watch some video of racquetball for sure. Uh, and always play somebody that is at your level or a little bit above your level. Nice. And then same question, but what would you, what piece of advice would you give for a really advanced player, maybe an open level player or a pro player? God, nowadays I would say make sure you hook up with the right individual that can um, guide you into training playing and preparing the correct way. I see a lot of players misguided, miscoached, misled today. I think there's a lot of really, really good coaches out there. I would never say anything bad about one coach or, or player. I would say that coaching is a relationship. Uh, it's communication, trust, and confidence. And depending on the level you want to get to, 
make sure that you have all three of those uh, with with the coach or with whoever it may be. But but I would say make sure when you train or you practice or you drill, you're doing it properly. And if you don't know how to do it properly, then you need to and, and not just train, practice, drill, but also lay out your season, like lay out your your tournaments and your appearances and you know, make sure you have somebody that can assist you in doing it the best way for you because everybody's different. What's best for you is different than me and what's best for Veronica is different than what's best for Paola. So, you know, I would say make sure that person has that ability across the board. And if it comes to technical, you know, for sure. I I like to tell my players, hey, there's nothing, no situation you will ever be in failing or succeeding that I haven't been in and failed and succeeded at on a racquetball court. And then until my wife got pregnant and then I was like, well, that's the only thing I was never pregnant on a racquetball court. Um, so yeah, I would say for those guys, you know, um, that, that I would, I would do that. I I would definitely make sure you're properly, you know, uh, counseled and guided and, and have good people around you. That's great. So Sudsy is the coach for you, unless you're going through pregnancy on the racquetball court. That's yeah. That, that's that's the one thing, Dylan. <laughs> if you're pregnant, don't ask me what to do. Got it. Okay, I'll, 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 I'll keep, redirect you. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are what are some of throughout your years in racquetball? What are some of your favorite stories? Whew, none that I can tell you right now. I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's for sure. I've been asked many, many times, hey, let's write a book. Let's, let's, uh, and I'm like, mm, it's, it won't be good because you can never use real names. Hmm. Um, God, I mean, I can tell you some memorable moments. You know, the, the one of the, when I first walked into the first US Open ever, I was like, this is cool. First US Open in, in Memphis, Tennessee in 1996 was, I, I said, that was the whole reason that I was, ever started playing racquetball because this, this experience and what Doug Gannam did with that event, you know, the sights, the sounds, the smells, being treated like a pro athlete, getting a car, getting amazing service and, you know, massages and food. It was just exceptional. Definitely representing Team USA in Argentina and, and winning a gold medal and, and you know, the national anthem being played. Um, I, I can tell you a, a true story. Actually, I just told this tonight. I was number one in the world at the time and I was with Head and Kane and Jack Huzak were kind of just both there. Um, they were both playing, and I played them both. I was, both on, I was on the court against both of them at the time. Um, and I get a call from my buddy Scott Winters over at Ectalon. And I'm like, huh. I'm like, my contract with Head doesn't end for four years. Why are you calling me now? And he goes, hey, you know, I got to ask you a question. And I'm like, what's up? He said, uh, he goes, you know, I'm, I'm, I got to sign Kane or Jack, and I'm going to make an, a really good investment into them. So I'm calling you to ask you, you know, what do you think? Who's the guy? And I remember this like it was yesterday, Dylan. I said, Scotty, it's not even close. He's like, what? He, Jack beat Kane last. I said, whoa, whoa, I didn't tell you who I'm telling you. I said, Kane, Kane's the guy you need to sign. I said, and it's not even close. He's like, what do you mean? You know, Jack just beat him. I said, Scotty, you called me to ask me. I've been on the court with both of them. I said, the thing I love most about Kane is he really reminds me of Cliff and myself more than anyone I've ever been on a court with. I said, he has no idea what he's doing yet. I said, so like I said, it's not even close. Trust me. He's like, wow, I didn't know you were going to say that. I said, well, you asked me. There it is. That's a true story. That's a true story. And that was, you know, that was, uh, that was that. And and then I think he did sign him. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. What is it that you think you saw in him and what is it that you think allowed him to be so dominant? Um, he came into the sport with all, I think some of the best players in the history of the game. You know, the technology is the same. The rackets are the same. It's not like we're talking tennis, wooden rackets and graphite, right? Like, you know, people forget he's only six years younger than me or seven years. Younger. You know, it's not, um, he came in at the right time. He's a competitor. He's a phenomenal athlete. You know, all the, all the, in the history of the sport, all the top and, and, you know, best of the best are really, really excelled at any sport. And Kane's one of them that can play any sport really well. 
he's wicked competitive. He's not there to be your friend. He wants to beat you and smack you around and get off the court. Um, and of course he's gifted. You know, we can't forget that. You know, these player like Kane and, you know, they're gifted. They're, they're, you don't get that from reading a book or, or drilling. You know, it starts with, with that initial blessing of some sort. Um, but, but his competitiveness, he's not afraid to compete. Um, he knows how to drill. I believe that over the years he, he's learned that. Um, and he's relentless. Again, you know, going back to, the, to what we spoke about in the beginning, he's, ne he's never satisfied. If he beats you three and three, he wants to beat you two and two. If he beats you one and one, he wants to beat you in zero and zero. If he beats you in zero and zero in 20 minutes, he wants to beat you in 19 minutes. And that's what you have to do. And he's not there to be anybody's friend. He's not there to hang out with you. He's not there to go to eat with you. And listen, it's all cool and good. I'm not talking about being a good dude. I'm a really good guy too off the court. But his focus is to beat you and be the best player in the world, and that's what he wants to do. And, you know, he's gifted at it, and he's obviously continued to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So seeing the landscape of the IRT where it's at today, Kane announced that he's most likely retiring What's your prediction for this upcoming season? Who do you think will finish number one in this upcoming IRT season? Well, I'm going to because I'm playing full-time. No, I'm just kidding. You thought that was a uh. real announcement. No, no, no. <laughs> um, I think Kane's going to finish number one again. Uh, I'm pretty sure he will play select events. and, and He's not retired fully. Um, I spoke to him and, uh, you know, it's obviously – I'm not going to tell you our conversation, but – I expect he'll be out there. Um, he's not going to fully walk away. He's, you know, too good and loves the sport too much. And I think that as long as he plays enough events to maintain points and ranking, he will still finish number one. Nobody's quite ready yet to take that from him. Yeah. Including my own partner, Rocky. You know, yeah. Rocky. If, but again, if 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 he's there at enough events, I think Kane will will continue to. You know, I think. You know, Kane's the pick to win the U.S. Open still, and even though he semi-retired. Yeah, who if who do you think will be the first person to finish number one after Kane? Well, Rocky just finished number one, so but you, oh, I true. guess you mean. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it's so. I, I'm trying to find the right word. <laughs> I think there's a lot of really, really, really good players and nobody's exceptional that jumps out and stands out. Um, I would love to see somebody go and push Kane and, and make Kane feel uncomfortable. Um, uh, but there's so many things that go into that, Dylan. You know, they have to be at all the events. They have to stay healthy. Uh, I just, you know, they're, they're, I think there's a lot of really good players and... I don't see anybody that jumps out and is 110% committed to what it takes. Because in, in what it takes, you might sacrifice some things too, right? So, for example, if Dylan Reed wants to be the best player in the world and he's right there um, and Dylan wants to play every single weekend, every tournament, just to make you know a couple bucks. And I go, well, Dylan, you know, for you to get to that next level, you're going to have to actually sacrifice a few of those events. Yeah, but I need the money. And I'm like, well, then maybe that's what you're going to have to sacrifice to get to, you know, being number one. Um, and I, I just don't know if, if the tour or if the economy in our sport right now is set up for somebody to be that next player to be number one, the clear number one, because I think that they have to consider so many other opportunities that could take away from the ultimate goal. Got it. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, it does. <laughs> okay, cool. All right. What ideas do you have for growing the sport? Um, you know, again, that, that that's something that we as, a, as an association or an organization or a sport really have not done so well um, over the past few years. And, you know, there's a lot of things going on right now with different associations, different organizations that might be hurting the sport as well. We definitely have to get kids more involved. Um, I would love to do like a 50 and 50 tour. I kind of touched on it briefly. 
go to every single state and, and get in there and just introduce people to racquetball and, and get them out there and show them the benefits of it. Uh, we need a solid pro professional tour because every single sport that is successful has a, a solid pro tour. Um, <clears throat> I would, I would start with kids and I would offer a lot of, you know, it's such a tough question, Dylan, because all of these things take money. And there's a lot of internal fighting with organization, organizations, associations, and everybody's fighting for the same piece of the pie. And we're all forgetting that the, the, the thing we're trying to grow here is racquetball, right? So, so like I always say, my agenda, I have one agenda, racquetball. If racquetball does well, Sudsy's going to do well. I'm not worried about that. There's a few of us that can say that. And my position is I just want racquetball to do well in whatever that takes, you know, and, and, there's so many things to do when you say, what are some things to do to grow the sport? You know, how about having a representative in every state hit as many schools as possible to just walk in and say, I'm just going to introduce racquetball for free. How about going to a gym and saying, okay, what's your number one revenue generator? And they say, well, CrossFit is today. Okay. I'm going to have Dylan come in. Can we speak to your CrossFit guys for five minutes to talk to them about racquetball and tell them the benefits of why they should play racquetball also. Educate the club owners on the benefits of a racquetball court, not just say, oh, that's 800 square feet of dead space. I'm going to put some bikes in there or some yoga mats. That's great. I don't want to argue that. I don't want to fight with you, but let me explain. Let me help you understand and learn the benefits of racquetball. You know, the, the average length of a racquetball member as opposed to the average length of a paying fitness member and how you can truly, you know, um, synergize those things. And, and, and all of a sudden racquetball can slowly grow again. You know, I, I, I think that there's a lot of things that happen behind the curtains that nobody wants to talk about. That's no fun. And, you know, we need, we need really good leadership and then we need real true ambassadors. I think we need really good spokesmen and people that can go out there on behalf of racquetball and, you know, not sell it, like sell it's not the word, but kind of grow, reach, inspire, introduce, you know, and, and just get people to want to try it. And I don't care if you hate it. I just want to put a ball and a racket in your hand and say, let's go hit it. See what you think. You tell me. I don't care. You don't want to play ever again? No problem. But I'm sure if you give me a hundred people, I'm going to convert a couple of those people that are going to want to continue to play. You know, social media is not the only answer. It's not the one thing that's going to do it. Getting on TV is not the only thing that's going to do it. We need to get kids involved and parents to believe that this is a good thing for children to be part of. You know, racquetball is a life sport. It's not, it's not something you go to, come home, and that's it. You meet the best people in the world, your best friends. You meet your family. You, meet, you, know, you're, you stay in great shape. Um, and it's just a fun, fun thing to do. And, and I think that the leadership and the voices and the ambassadors are so, so, so important, but everybody's kind of just doing their own thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to be respectful of your time and I really appreciate you coming on. Do you have any parting thoughts to leave our audience with? No, Dylan, I like, you know, what you're doing is great. And thank you, you know, for, for what you try to do to promote the sport. That's awesome. And, and don't ever stop and, and, you know, keep doing it. And I'm going to try to keep inspiring, you know, thank you to everybody for all the messages, how I'm inspiring you. And I mean, it's, it's so humbling and I love it. And it's part of why I'm going to keep doing it. And if there's ever anything I can do for you or for the sport, you know, do not hesitate. Um, and, and that's it, man. Get out there and go introduce somebody to racquetball. And, and yeah, if you have to force them and say, all right, yeah, and think about what they like to do. If you've if you got a buddy and he likes to have a beer, say, hey, I'm going to take you out to have a beer. But first, I'm going to bring you to the racquetball club. If you got a friend that likes baseball, say, hey, we're going to go to the, you know, the baseball game tonight. But first, let's go do this. And, and you, you just never know. And talk to people about it. And don't be afraid. You know, racquetball is awesome. It's cool. People are amazing. There's great people in it. It makes, it makes your life better. It makes your health better. And you just never know. Maybe you'll marry a racquetball player and have a baby. <laughs> there you go. No promises, but maybe. Uh, where can people reach you if they want to find out more about you or your coaching or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, you can find me on any social media, on, on Instagram and Twitter. It's at Sudzy M. Um, on Facebook, you can, you know, look for Sudzy Munchik. 
and there's only two. I only have two, so I don't know if there's any other pages out there. There's a personal, and I don't know if there's any room for friends on that one, but on my athlete page, um, you can definitely like that page, and I'm pretty active on that. And, of course, on my website, which is sudzimonchik.com. Do people still say www? That <laughs> so, doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's, so, so sudzimonchik.com and, and uh, anything, you know, any, any coaching or whatever, whatever can be done. You know, it is still my job. So, you know, it's, it's, I get a lot of requests for, for things and, and I try to do whatever I can all the time. Awesome, man. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Dylan. Anytime, buddy. I'm, I'm ready. Let's get me and Rocky on, hopefully, after a gold medal. There the we world. go. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> the Racquetball Show is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health-conscious people like runners, cyclists, weightlifters, vegetarians, and racquetball players get lower rates on their life insurance. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people. Health IQ can save customers up to 33% because physically active people have a 56% lower risk of heart disease, 20% lower risk of cancer, and a 58% lower risk of diabetes compared to people who are inactive. Like saving money in your car insurance for being a good driver, Health IQ saves you money on your life insurance for living a health-conscious lifestyle. To see if you qualify, to learn more, or to get a free quote on life insurance, you can visit healthiq.com slash TRS. Link in the podcast description. This is a great way of supporting the podcast and of potentially getting great savings on your life insurance. Check them out. That does it for episode 15 of the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, I really appreciate it. And as always, you can reach out to me at dylan at racquetballshow.com if you have anything you'd like to reach out about. That's D-Y-L-A-N at racquetballshow.com. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.